We'll now be reading from God's Word. We'll be reading from Genesis chapter 3. Three. That will be page 2. All right, y'all. A little bit longer reading this morning. We are looking at all of Genesis chapter 3 on page 2. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman who you gave to me to to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return." The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, good morning, y'all. Merry Christmas. We get to say that now, right? It's, uh, It's past Thanksgiving. You can play Christmas music, you can hang ornaments, you can put up your tree, and all is well with the world. Uh, We are starting a new sermon series this morning. 
um, for Advent. But before we jump in, I would like to give you an update on our capital campaign, as you guys have known over the last uh, month, two months, um, this is the morning that, that we give you an update on where we are. So I'd like to invite SJ up. SJ is our campaign chairperson. Uh, he has labored very, very diligently uh, to help us lead this thing. So, Thanks, Steve, and good morning. Uh, before I make the announcement, I want to thank all of you for engaging this process and especially want to thank all of you for your prayers. Um, I have felt that, our family has felt that, I, and I suspect that the Capital Campaign team has felt that too. So, so thank you for all that. Speaking of the Capital Campaign team, I want to especially recognize them and the other individuals that help support us, and, and I'm going to mention them by name because their time, energy, passion, creativity has been, has been incredibly important. And those are Steve Harrison, Julie Free, Ray Burns, Joe Kavorik, Jared Siebert, Matt Sedaris, Lizzie Cody, Drew Pigeon, and Steve Mizell. And we also received a lot of support from folks like Lori Lauterbach, Chris and Sarah Young, Craig Huffstedler, Clint Maple, Jenna Pigeon, Lene Robinson, and Emily Morrison. So give that group a round of applause. Let's not forget SJ, too. So as, as you know, as many of you know, we began this effort eight months ago planning and developing this campaign. Um, and although we didn't reach our financial goal that we had originally set forth, um, I think that you will agree that, that God is at work in this church, that, that God is moving the hearts of people in this church to generosity. And, and that's the goal, really, right? I mean, from, from the very beginning, we have said that's the goal. So... Without further ado, I'm pleased to report that as of this morning, we have received commitments totaling $758,940. Let's, yeah, that's definitely worthy of a round of applause. So the exciting part about that number is that that came from only 73 givers. Um, just 73 families have pledged $758,000. And I know it doesn't take you long to do the math to realize that the people of this church are giving generously. That is a very generous amount. Uh, You might remember that our goal was 120 givers um, uh, when we uh, first started. And so at at this point, we're we're actually praying that God would raise up 47 more givers, that that he would literally, um, you know, move the hearts of 47 more families uh, to make a pledge uh, to our campaign. Um, we, you know, again, the, the, the money, obviously, uh, it's, it's important, but it's not the goal. It's the goal is heart transformation. That's what we're doing. And, and so we are inviting, um, thanking all of you who have already pledged, but inviting those of you who haven't uh, to get in on this, to jump in. Um, it's not too late, obviously. This is a three-year campaign, mm-hmm. so we're going to be talking about this for a while. Um, but, but would really encourage you, um, if you feel God moving you in that way, to, uh, to, to make a commitment. Absolutely. Thank you, SJ. Yeah. You guys give thank SJ you. a... And thank you guys again. Um, so thank you to SJ. SJ has been laboring and the team um, for about the last eight or nine months. Um, this, Schaefer's very proud. Um, 
Yeah, these guys have been laboring for eight or nine months in the background, um, doing a ton of work. And that's what leaders do. Leaders are the structure that you never see that actually creates uh, the space for flourishing for the community. And our leaders have been laboring very, very diligently in the background with this. And I'm very thankful to SJ and the whole team um, for what they've done. This is a three-year campaign. And so while this is our announcement for this morning... um, uh, we, we definitely are praying that the Lord will help us meet our goal, right? Our goal is 1.1 million, uh, and connected with that, our goal is to have 120 individuals or families giving to this campaign. And so we are praying the Lord will provide uh, the additional families or individuals to jump in and join us um, either now before the end of the year or over the course of the next three. Um, these books are still around if you want to know what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we plan to get there. Uh, these are going to continue to be around. We also have updates on our website, um, and uh, would love it if you would keep praying with us. Um, so, just an interesting story. Our first capital campaign. Um, it was such a blessing to our community. Obviously, it equipped us to get into this building. Um, and what was so cool about that was we set a goal, and we blew past it. And who doesn't love that? I mean, what leader doesn't love to say, here's our goal, and man, we, we blew past it. Um, and, uh, and it was very, very cool. In fact, I've told some of my friends, some of my church planting friends, um, I'm thankful that God gave us the opportunity to do it that way. Uh, some of my friends have had buildings given to them, to the church plants. And, and I'm, I would lie if I didn't say I prayed for the same thing. Um, I absolutely prayed that God would just give us a building, you know. Um, but he didn't. Instead, what he did is he gave us the opportunity to sacrifice together, to grow in generosity, to take advantage of an opportunity. And not only did God give us the opportunity at the perfect time, that season of sacrifice shaped our community and impacted the generosity of our hearts. It impacted our shared experience of grace. I wouldn't change it. I wouldn't go back and, man, man, I wish somebody had given us a building. Not a chance. Because not only did we get the building, we got a, a shift, a growth in our community that, that money can't buy. So here's the thing. I, I'm not, you know, I kind of wrestled with God a little bit this week. And, and in some ways, as I, as I finished wrestling, because I, you know, I mean, you guys, I'm a, I'm a goal-oriented guy, and I like to hit my goals. Um, and, and as I was wrestling with this, I was like, all right, Lord, uh, so, so this is, a, you're not doing it the same way you did it last time, Right? You're changing it up, but here's the thing. I believe God's going to ultimately do the same thing, and that is form within our community a spirit of generosity. And that number, that bottom number, has given me so much encouragement. 73 families and individuals giving $758,000. I can't tell you the number of, of stories I've heard of people that have just absolutely been moved to generous sacrificial giving. I'm, I am thrilled with what God has started and has not done. So we're going to keep praying and we're going to keep working and, and uh, 1.1 million is still my goal. Um, but here's the thing, God's going to give what God's going to give and we are going to celebrate it because in the end, um, the money is, is, man, the Lord give us the money at any time in any way. But it is often through the seasons of shared sacrifice that we grow in our experience of shared grace. And so I'm, I'm thankful to each one of you who committed, truly thankful to each one of you who committed, and thankful to each one of you who are continuing to pray and consider joining us in that process. All right, this morning, 
Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Um, Christmas is a little bit like the opening of a Charles Dickens novel. Uh, you guys remember way, way, way back to high school when you read A Tale of Two Cities? Uh, phenomenal novel, but it has one of the most famous opening lines of any novel. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And I think that's actually a pretty apt description of Christmas for most of us. It is a time of, of growing hope. It is also a time of looming dread. Um, for some of us, we are lit up with, with excitement about spending time with family, seeing people we haven't seen for a long time. We're excited about it. We, got, we have the hope of, of a shared experience of, of, of celebration and, and joy, and there's the anticipation of, of giving presents and receiving presents and, and eating more food because we're all still hungry, even though last week was Thanksgiving. But for some... Uh, Let's be honest, this is a season of of real loneliness. This is a season of pain and regret. Regret because of choices you've made in the past or regret because of choices others have made that you are powerless about, but you reap the benefits of their bad choices. Um, For some, it's sadness and isolation. For those who do struggle with seasonal depression, this is often one of the windows that triggers that. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times. And for many of us, it's a mixture of both. It's hope and sadness. It's joy and pain. It's anticipation and a little bit of, of dread. Moments of joy swaddled in blankets of sadness. So we hope for a merry little Christmas, right? But the reality is... <laughs> We're all living with a messy little Christmas, right? It, it, it is just a bit of a mess. So we're going to spend some time over the next four weeks in a, uh, an unusual passage for Advent. Genesis chapter 3 is not one of your typical Advent passages. In fact, I don't know anyone who has ever preached Genesis chapter 3 as an Advent series, uh, which is part of the reason I love it. Um, And we're going to do that. We're going to spend uh, the next four weeks in Genesis chapter 3 instead of the Gospels, right? So instead of running to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and and reading about angels, shepherds, guiding stars, and, and mangers, we're going to spend some time with Adam and Eve, a talking snake, and a few magic trees, okay? So, so instead of the beginning of the Gospels, we're going to go to the beginning of the Bible. And two things that I want to kind of challenge you with right up front. The first, I want you to see, and this is really my hope for this series, that these two events are more closely tied than most people understand. Genesis chapter 3, the beginning of our human story, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the beginning of Christ's story, are intimately tied. In fact, I would argue you cannot understand the birth of Christ unless you understand what happened at the beginning of the human story. Genesis chapter 3 is an Advent text because it sets the stage for the Advent. The second thing is this. I know some of you um, potentially have a hard time with Genesis, uh, specifically the opening chapters of Genesis. You, you struggle with, with um, you know, you guys really believe in Adam and Eve and, and talking snakes and, and fig leaves and, and all that stuff. Are you serious? Um, yeah, I actually do. Um, I think that's just as plausible as, you know, we had to get here somehow, right? There was a miracle one way or the other. It's a leap of faith one way or the other. Uh, but here's the thing. 
even if you struggle with the beginning of Genesis, what I want you to see is it is a compelling, compelling insight into the human condition. Why things are the way they are and, and why Jesus had to break in to set them right again. So we are celebrating Advent. And, and over this, this um, season, uh, we're going to be lighting our candles to remind us of of the critical, critical the, 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 the traditional virtues that come with Advent. Today is the birth of hope and, and, um, uh, and then peace and joy and love. Um, Genesis chapter 3 will show us why we needed those things to be born to begin with. What went wrong that we lost them? The first candle we lit today is the candle of hope. Um, and because Jesus is born to us, we can be born again to a new and living hope. And so let's talk about Genesis. Genesis um, 1 through 3, uh, the creation story. It is not just uh, about this crazy couple, Adam and Eve. It is about us. Uh, when I read Genesis 1 through 3, I see tremendous insight into the human condition, which means I see tremendous insight into my own human experience. In fact, take a look at Genesis 1, because I just want to read a couple of verses to set stage. Verse 31 uh, through chapter 2, verse 1, just, just right on the other side of page 2 there. And it says, And God saw that everything He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all the work that He had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all the work that He had done in creation. So over the, the, the beginning chapters, we see that, that over the six days of creation, God makes something and then stops at the end of it and says, behold, it is good, right? It is good, it is good. So God creates, it is good. God creates, it is good. On the sixth day, when He creates mankind, Adam and Eve, in His own image, right? Which means they share commonalities with God that nothing else in creation shares. He created them uh, uh, to be unique in all the created order, to have a unique relationship with Him, to be created in, in, in God's image. It, it means that we bear the imprint of God Himself, we have the unique ability to relate with God, to know God, to be known by God, to love God, to be loved by God, to have a relationship with God. And at the end of the sixth day, instead of just saying, it is good, He says, behold, it is very good. I think that's compelling because now He has somebody to talk to other than Himself, right? He's like Adam and Eve, hey, behold, man, take a look, everything I created. Isn't it good? Isn't it good? Look! Look! Delight in all the gifts I'm giving you. Delight in all the goodness I have placed in creation. Because I have created you in my image. This is all yours. You are my vice regents. You are my stewards over all creation. You get to rule over creation in the same way I rule over all things. You are created in my image and you will operate in my authority. So image me. Be like me. Love what I've given you. Create, right? God placed them in a, in a garden. What's a garden? A garden is a cultivated place of wildness, right? It is the beginning of culture 
where, where, where culture very simply is, is taking the raw materials of what God has given us and, and ordering them and creating from them something new and beautiful. God said, be culture makers. Protect what I've given you and push out and create more, right? Push out and, 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 and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right, with goodness. It's a tremendous scene. It's beautiful. Behold, the thriving and the flourishing of life. When we look at the initial chapters of the book of Genesis, we see life the way it was supposed to be. Theologians call this the state of shalom. Shalom is a Hebrew word that means peace, but, but it means much more than simply the, the lack of conflict. The, the word shalom means the presence of the fullness and the flourishing of life. It was, it was a stage, a unique stage in human history where the shalom of God characterized every aspect of all of creation. It was the fullness and the flourishing of life. Adam and Eve, everywhere they turned, were presented opportunities to, to, to create, to be, to love, to know, to discover, to act without any conflict, without any without any temptation to destroy the very things they are creating, to hurt one another, to, to, to be uh, afraid. There was no guilt. There was no shame. It was the fullness and the flourishing of life. There was a glorious hum to creation. It was like, there was like all of creation was this beautiful orchestra, and, and, and every piece of creation had its own note, but it was all in harmony. There was a glorious hum to creation. And Adam and Eve were the conductors. And as they acted, everything around them responded to their actions as they moved in, in, in the impulses of, of, of seeking to image God. All of creation responded to their movements, not with hostility, but with joy. The glorious hum of shalom. You need to see that we were created for that. And that everything in us desires it. It's why we get frustrated when things don't work out. It is why we, we, we feel pain. When, when instead of hearing the glorious hum from all of our best efforts, instead we hear the discordant uh, 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 noise of disunity of pain, of things falling apart instead of growing together. Why? Why is it like that? Because of Genesis 3, right? Take a look again at verses 1 through 6 because I want you to see what happens in Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did he actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from, from the fruit of, of the trees, all the fruit, right? But, but God said, you shall not eat of this, the fruit of this one tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. 
our first parents rebelled against God. They were given the ability, having been created in the image of God, to do whatever they wanted, except one thing, to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave them the opportunity to obey by giving them the opportunity to rebel. God gave them the opportunity to act in love by giving them the opportunity to reject his love. And they chose to rebel. They chose to reject his love. They, instead of being content, being created in the image of God, walking in humble dependence on God, enjoying all the good gifts that God has given, they chose instead to be like God. They wanted to be equal to God. They wanted to be little gods. Instead of walking in humble dependence on God, they would now compete with God. Instead of celebrating the glory of God, they would fight for their own glory. Instead of resting in the security that God gave, they would fight for their own security. Instead of resting in the delight of the goodness of all of God's gifts, they would now pursue rest and pleasure outside of those gifts. Instead of using them in ways God designed, they would abuse that design because they wanted to be like God, equal to God. Instead of centering themselves on God, they wanted to be the center. Instead of revolving around the glory of God, they wanted to fight for their own glory. They wanted to mark the boundaries of their own pleasure and establish their own significance. Our first parents rebelled. And when they did, they set off a bomb, the most powerful bomb in human history. Right? There have been some pretty powerful bombs in human history, and, and there is still residual effect from those bombs. This bomb in Genesis chapter 3, the shockwaves are felt just as strong today as they were when the bomb went off, the bomb of, of their rebellion, the bomb of their sin. Those shockwaves still affect us today because the shockwaves of that bomb is death. God said, in the day of that you eat of that true tree, you shall surely die. And they unleashed death into the flourishing of the created order. Now, some of you who are astute in reading will say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> they went on and, and they lived and they had kids and, and they lived for many, many years. How did they die? In the day that they ate of the tree, surely they didn't die. Yes, yes, they did. Because biblical death isn't, isn't ceasing to exist. Biblical death is, is separation, right? When we die physically, our spiritual being is separated from our physical being. We don't cease to exist. We continue to exist, but we exist not in the way we were created to exist. We are disembodied, right? In the day that they ate of the tree, they were separated from the source of life. They were separated from their God. The God who had created them in His very image to, to live in the overflow of His goodness, to live in the, the outpouring of His affection, of His approval, of His security, of His provision. They were now alienated by God, by their rebellion against God. That led to the death of hope and joy and peace and love. But this morning, we're going to look and see how, how that led to the death of hope because everything we hoped for, 
Everything we were designed to hope for was now an impossible distance from us. Take a look at verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The first place that we see a significant cutoff from shalom, from the fullness and the flourishing of life, is now instead of when God draws near, they no longer hear the invitation into the beautiful overflow of His presence. They feel the threat of exposure. God's holiness now is not an invitation to life. It is a dangerous threat because they now compete with God instead of humbly depend on God. Everything that is God is threatening to them because they're not God. The holiness of God now, instead of being a warming presence to their souls, is a dangerous fire. And they, like dry kindling, would simply be consumed should God allow His glory to flame forward in all of its glorious power because they are no longer holy. And because they are not, they are no longer able to stand in the presence of holiness. They are cut off from God. And and this isn't just sad, y'all. This is death. They are cut off from the very source of life, the the very one who gives shalom, the very one who designed this whole thing. He is the source of life. Listen, we were designed to have our deepest desires met in the overflow of God's goodness. We were designed by our Creator to have our most fundamental needs for affirmation and love, for significance, for pleasure and rest, for security. We we were designed to have those needs met in the overflowing goodness of the presence of God. The presence of God is now a hostile force to those of us who are no longer holy. We are separated from the source of life. But this is what I want you to catch. Those appetites remained. We were designed to find infinite security in the outpouring of God's infinite power. We're now separated from that. It's no longer a comfort to us. It is a threat to us. But we still have an infinite need for security which is why some of you are plagued by anxiety. We still have an infinite need for rest and pleasure, which is why some of you are plagued by addictions. We still have an infinite need for significance, which is why some of you are addicted to working, performing, and succeeding. We have the appetites. We've been separated from the God who feeds them. And as a result, we now turn to the things God made and ask them to do for us what only God can do, to be for us what only God can be. We are driven by our appetite for shalom. And because we are driven by our appetite for shalom, we are driven by discontentment. We are hoping beings but we've been cut off from the source of our hope. Take a look at verses 22 through 24 at the end of the chapter. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like us. And, of course, Trinitarian language here, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's not speaking to, he's speaking to himself. He is eternal community. Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
in his rebellion, now lest he eat of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Uh, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim with the flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way back to the tree of life. See, the indication of the text is that if we were allowed then to eat of the tree of life, we wouldn't experience physical death. And, and had we not experienced physical death, we would be stuck eternally in the state of our rebellion. God in His wisdom not only used death to judge our sin, but integrated death into His plan to save us from our sin. It was an act of justice when God said, you are being placed out of the garden. You are being separated from my presence. It was also an act of mercy. Because in mercy, God was already setting up the stage, aligning the plan for our rescue. He placed a flaming sword at the entrance to the garden. Now, he didn't have to do that, but it was a physical presence. It was a symbol. Every time they looked at it, it reminded them, you are cut off from the source of your flourishing. You are cut off from the place of shalom. You are separated. And this is the death of hope. So I want you to catch this before we move on, that you have the same desires. You just can't get to the one who satisfies them. So we turn to the things God made instead of turning to the God who made them. And and in the end, that means we end up disappointed. Everything disappoints either by, by failing us or worse, we get it and it doesn't turn out to be what we hoped it would be. Our life is a series of disappointments. (laughs) Sorry if you haven't realized that yet. I hate to be a Debbie Downer, um, but I think most of us have realized this, right? Because we're driven by appetites that, that can't be satisfied. So we keep hoping and we keep hoping, but there's no lasting fulfillment and, and we live with increasing disappointment. And often we end up starting to blame others, and, 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 and so we blame our family, and, and we blame our job, and, and we, we blame people, and, and, and you're the reason I'm disappointed, and you're the reason I'm disappointed, and we go from job to job, and sometimes we even go from family to family, and all we do is export our disappointment onto other people, because the reason we're disappointed is in here. The reason we're continually disappointed is because we have hungers that simply cannot be fed. We are putting God weight on people who aren't God. We're putting God weight on things that aren't God. And and we look to people to be God. We crush them with the weight of our expectations. When we look to situations or our families or our jobs and we say to those things, you will be God for me. You will meet my deepest needs. We crush them under the weight of our expectations. But you can't stop hoping because you're a hoping being. You were created by God to hope. And as a result, man, you just go from thing to thing, from event to event, and sometimes even from person to person. And we take our restless disappointment with us. You guys know that uh, classic movie, Christmas Story? Yeah, right? It's the classic Christmas music. Not Die Hard, sorry. Um, Christmas story is a, a funny look at, at a single family's single Christmas, right? The chaos of Christmas, the hope of Christmas. It's narrated by uh, the, the, the child, uh, Ralphie Parker, who's now an adult. He's the narrator who speaks over the action. Uh, and he's looking back and he's reminiscing about this special Christmas when all he wanted in the world 
was a Red Ryder carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle. He just wanted the rifle. My favorite line from the whole film uh, is the whole movie is more of a series of vignettes of little things that occur. And, and at one point, their, their boiler breaks down and the dad goes downstairs. And I love this line. In the heat of battle, my father wove a tapestry of obscenity that as far as we know is still hanging in space over Lake Michigan. <laughs> love that line. Love that line. But over the course of the movie, Ralphie asks his mom, Right? Can I have this Red Ryder rifle? She's like, no, you'll shoot your, your eye out. So he goes to his teacher, Miss Shields, can I have this? No, you'll shoot your eye out. He goes to Santa, the department store Santa, and he's like, no, kid, you'll shoot your eye out. At the end of the movie, he gets the Red Rifle, the Red Ryder rifle. He goes outside and he shoots it. It ricochets, comes back, breaks his glasses, doesn't take out his eye. So it doesn't end on that bad of a note. But it breaks his glasses. He goes to bed that night, hugging his rifle. And, and the narrator, the adult Ralphie, says, this is the best gift I've ever received or would ever receive. It's not a happy ending. You're like, Steve, this doesn't illustrate your points at all. Right? He was happy at the end of the movie. Really? I mean, let me ask you this. How sad is it that a grown man... A grown man says this is the happiest moment in my entire life. You think he's still going to bed with that Red Ryder rifle? Or is he now going to bed with a wife? Maybe with kids and a job. And yet his adult life has been so filled with disappointment. He's obsessed on a single moment of his childhood that now he is deemed the happiest moment of his life, that is actually one of the saddest Christmas films you could ever hope to see. But that's the way it works, y'all. We get disappointed because we don't get what we want, or we get what we want, and it doesn't promise we hoped it would deliver. And we end up with even greater disappointment. We call it growing up, but really it's just getting cynical. And for some of us, hope becomes our enemy. Frederick Nietzsche, a famous non-believer, said hope in reality is the worst of all evils because it prolongs the torments of man. Hope without fulfillment is just pain. So Genesis chapter 3 would be the saddest story ever told if it ended there. But it didn't. In fact, right in the middle of the chaos of Genesis chapter 3, before the dust of our parents, our first parents' rebellion had even settled. God promised to send a hero. Take a look at verses 14 to 15. Now he's talking to the serpent here, but just get past that. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, above all the beasts of the field, and your belly you shall go, the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. That's not the interesting part. Verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman. Now he's, he's not talking about the snake anymore. And between your offspring and her offspring, he, now he's not even talking about her offspring, he's talking about a specific offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the very first preaching of the gospel in the entire Bible. And it takes place in the midst of our first parents' rebellion. God says, even before he's done explaining the consequences of the rebellion, he says, I'm going to send a hero. I'm going to send a savior. 
there will come an offspring of the woman. And he will crush your head. And he's speaking to our enemy. Not just the snake. And not just even a demonic force behind it. But death itself. He will crush the power of death. Even though it will cost him greatly. Even though he will be wounded in the process. He will defeat death by dying. He, 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 this promised son, who we know, of course, is Jesus, will enter ground zero of your sin and he will absorb its full blast. He will pay the full price. He will take your guilt. He will take your shame. He will absorb your cosmic treason. And he will die your death. So that in rising again, you can be covered in his righteousness. He passed through the flaming sword. That he might make the way safe for us again. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. I'm going to put it on the screen behind me. And I would like it if you would read it out loud along with me. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Jesus died. Not a random death, but a death on mission. He came to be our hero, to step into the weight of our sin, to die under the consequence of our rebellion, that we might be delivered from it. And once again, might be brought back to the place of flourishing. He died so we could be made alive. He was covered in our sins so we could be covered in his righteousness. And now when we come back to the very presence of God, we no longer face a flaming sword. We have an open invitation. When you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are covered in the very righteousness of Christ, which means when you enter the presence of God, His holiness is no longer a threat to you. It is once again an invitation. An invitation to have your deepest needs met in the overflow of His goodness. To find your significance in His approval. To find your need for approval in the overflow of His love. To find your security in His power. To find your need for rest. in His love, and in the pleasure of His presence. He died so we could be made alive. Take a look at uh, chapter 3, verse 21. Interesting note I just want you to see in chapter 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. In an act of mercy, God killed the first animals. And then use their skins to cover their nakedness that they might be protected until he would send the hero who would die on their behalf and then cover them with his very own righteousness. God in his mercy protected them from the immediate consequences of the rebellion that they might receive the blessings of the hero. That first sacrifice was a temporary protection. Jesus, the final sacrifice, offers permanent and eternal approval, acceptance, 
and protection. Jesus now covers us with his very righteousness. The advent of hope. So let me just give you three quick things how this applies to our messy Christmas, okay? How, how this can have a very practical impact on the coming season for us. First of all, I'm going to encourage you to remind yourself continually that your greatest gift has already been given. Your greatest problem has already been solved. And your greatest debt has already been paid. Like, remind yourself of that continually. Like, continually. Not just randomly. Continually. (laughs) Your greatest blessing has already been given. Your greatest problem has already been solved. God's greatest blessing has already been given to you. Everything else is secondary. And and everything else ultimately will follow in course because with God's blessing comes every other blessing with it. It may take time because we're still in the mess, right? The shockwaves of that original sin are still being felt every single day by ourselves and our families. But the shockwave of the resurrection of Christ is also being felt. And in the end, the resurrection of Christ will rewrite human history and our stories along with it. So let's anchor our hope, remind ourselves continually. Second, clothe yourself in gratitude instead of longing. As you remind yourself of what God has done, allow it to awaken within you the transforming experience of gratitude toward God so that as you enter into the holiday experience, you're not coming in with anxiety and longing, and, 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 but you're coming in with a peace that comes from, from a, a, just a gratitude. Gratitude, remember, is a transforming experience of humility and joy. Humility but in the face of a gift so, so magnificent and joy in the one who gave it. Allow that gratitude to influence you as you move into difficult family situations. Allow it to anchor you as you, as you deal with, with sorrows, as you deal with difficulties, right? And thirdly, ask for God to meet the longings of your heart, knowing that you are loved, secure, and blessed, that you are already. There's nothing left for you to earn, right? God's not going to give you a good Christmas if you're good enough. God's not Santa, Right? He's not checking his little box to find out if you've been good enough to receive his blessing. He's already given you every blessing he can give in Christ. So come to him in faith. Because the shockwaves of our parents' first sin still hurt. And for many of us, as we come into the holiday season, we have very, very real problems we'd like God to step into and help solve. We have very, very real pains that we would like God to step into and help comfort. We have very, very real difficulties that we don't know how to manage on our own. Come with the boldness of faith, knowing that Christ rose from the dead, has covered you in his very righteousness, and has marked you for blessing. And then ask him to step into the shockwaves of sin to bring comfort, hope, and healing. And you'll be amazed at how the grace of God calms the shockwaves of sin. It's not until he comes again that it'll all be set right. But that doesn't mean we don't receive the comfort and the blessing of what's already been accomplished in his first coming. The birth of hope. All right, let me pray for us. We're going to close. uh, And then um, we will uh, share communion together in a moment. Father, I thank you um, for the gift of your Son. Lord, I thank you that that you designed us for yourself and, 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 and you didn't leave us, man, to that dark, dark place that our parents took us, that we ourselves take us on a regular basis where we 
We are continually turning to things to feed appetites they can't feed. Continually battling the despair of hoping but being afraid of hope. Because we know that when we hope, we're disappointed. And if we can just shut off the hope, somehow we can shut off the disappointment. Lord, you designed us so that we can't turn it off. Because we were designed to find infinite hope, infinitely satisfied in you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our faith and our experience of your love that we might be bold in our hope, we might not be afraid of it, that we might anchor our hope in, 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 in its true fulfillment, that we might long, Lord, not just for the temporary blessings of this life and this world, but we might find joy that our greatest problem has been solved and our greatest debt has been paid and your greatest love has already been given. Lord, meet us in it. You guys, take a few minutes and pray. We'll share communion in a moment.